My good people, how are you? How are you feeling? I'm sure very festive as it's Christmas week. In fact, it's the eve of Christmas here on a Monday, December 24th in the year of our Lord, 2018. You're listening to the J Reels Podcast. I am your host, J Reels. I'll be bringing you everything that's going on in the world, the diamond, the world, of the ice, the world, of the gridiron, the world, of the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. This is your very first time listening to what it is I have to say about SPRTS. Welcome aboard, and thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast. And for those who have been with me from episode 1 to episode 40, 41, 42, and now 45, I welcome you guys back. Tons to discuss here, lots of gifts, maybe even some coal and some stockings as we go through the sports landscape. We have all the baseball stuff. That's right, a lot of hot stove stuff in the last week and change. Some Met news that I didn't even talk about last week. My apologies with the uh, closer or the former closer of the Mets and Jerry was familiar, him being back in the mix as far as part of the Amazons are concerned. I'll get to that. The big trade that happened in baseball there over the weekend with the Dodgers and Reds, what that may mean for another top flight free agent that may sign there in the days and weeks to come. We'll go through a little bit of the NBA. Of course, LeBron's comments recently, not only on the court in reference to other players, but off the court, what he said about the NFL owners and also about uh, getting that Jewish money, which wasn't his quote, but it was quoting a uh, rap song and a rap lyric. That, some NHL stuff, but all the football to shake a stick at here as we are now just a week away, six days away from the final weekend of the NFL season. And it caps off tonight, week 16, with a snoozer. Denver at Oakland, which nobody will watch. But as we recap yesterday, when uh, another wild and crazy day, and I'm going to say this before I even kick off and talk about everything that's happening in football, I am in a nasty sports mood. I am finicky. I am feisty. You can call me the Grinch today because I am certainly, been, I've been waiting for this podcast. If you've seen any of my tweets yesterday, especially toward the end of the Steelers Saint game, I was ready for this podcast. And as I went through all the games, and trying to bring you all the latest and what's happening with the playoff scenarios, uh, recapping all these games, giving you, you know, of course, delivering my opinions with everything that's happening. Man, I tell you, I, right now, watch out because I don't even know what I'm going to say here over the course of the next hour, but uh, especially with this football segment, because if you're a Steeler fan, obviously you're waking up this morning knowing that you're on the outside looking in and your chances do look long, although it's not impossible. And we'll get to all those scenarios later. But we'll start off with the uh, locals quick with the Jets and Giants. The Jets yesterday pretty much has cemented the coaching tenure of Todd Bowles. And it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to be gone at the end of the year. If Chris Johnson has a working cell in his brain, he knows that this guy has to just be exited stage right. And with that being said, he does have two years. And I mentioned this many weeks ago on the podcast. He has two more years left after this year. So his contract runs through 2020. Does that mean if they do bring in a coach, will he be the... Defensive coordinator, which obviously would be a step down for him, but who knows? As we've seen right now in these four years under Coach Bowles, he is not a head coach. He could probably be a top-flight defensive coordinator, and he has been that previously with the Arizona Cardinals. But now, knowing that his fate has pretty much been sealed after yesterday's debacle, up 15 points, fourth quarter, and for the loser game, and I get it's Aaron Rodgers, and I get that it's a Hall of Fame quarterback, but at the same time, there's no way that you let a team like that at 5-7-1 come into your building. And despite the fact with all the penalties, especially on defense and the mistakes, et cetera, et cetera, and we could talk about the questioning of the referees and the officiating, which we'll get to even with the Steeler game later on, you still have to somehow, someway close that game out. And as it was, they were trailing late. They actually got the field goal, even down 38-35 to push it into overtime. But when you knew Green Bay had the ball, you knew they were going to go for the juggler, and sure enough, they did. But what could you say? Just another game that the Jets have just given away. And when you just look in the last month, the game in Tennessee, last week against Houston, and then now today, uh, and what more needs to be said about the coach and him being gone a week from today, which will be Black Monday throughout the NFL. And if there's only one glimmer of hope, the silver lining in the Jet season or even in the Jet organization is number 14 in green. And what you saw yesterday was another step. And I understand Green Bay is not a top-flight defense. You also understand that this late in the season, a lot of these games are pretty much playing out the string. And despite the fact that these players are playing for jobs and playing for pride, 
But what Darnold did yesterday was certainly at the bottom of your, at the top of your list, and certainly at the bottom of your Christmas tree, knowing that, hey, this gift that came to us back in April with the draft and how everything shook down and unfolded as we've chronicled in past podcasts, that this guy obviously is going to be a tremendous part of this future. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. Now, of course, he has to have more talent around him. We get the offensive line has to be that much more fortified and with $100 million under the cap, and I'm sure a lot of pressure, which will be on Mike McCagden, and who knows if he's going to be around after next week. Remains to be seen. A lot of people think that he will be the GM of this Jet team. But with all the resources that they're going to have, come March when the NFL season reopens, there is no excuse why this team cannot make a leap forward next year. Now, granted, they're on the verge of another 5-11 and season, which will be the third one in a row, by the way. And with the Jets not making the playoffs in eight years, and knowing that you have your quarterback in place, all you have to do is just plug these pieces in, especially on offense, whether it's another offensive lineman, a running back, which I know the you know Le'Veon Bell will be out there. That name will certainly surface and resurface over the course of the latter part of the winter into the spring. If you get some more wideouts, you figure Herndon's going to be good at tight end. And away you go. The defense, if you look at a guy like Leonard Williams, you're going to give him extension. I understand this is talk for next week when the season is officially over and you can kind of look and say, all right, Bowles is gone. Is McCagnin still around? What players need to be brought in and players will possibly be leaving? Yes, but considering that it's a formality that the season has been long over, as you're a Jet fan today, you're looking at next year and you're looking at what lies ahead. And you only hope that come next week at this time, Todd Bowles will be gone. And who knows if McCagnin is going to follow him out that door. And then you just proceed from there. And that's all you can look at, Jet fans. Listen, would you like to win next week? I'm sure there's a contingent out there that would want to lose just so they could get the higher draft pick. As it is right now, they will be, I believe, third in the NFL draft column behind Arizona and I would say Oakland. Those have to be the top two teams ahead of them. And if they somehow, some way, were to upset the New England Patriots, I'm sure that that would not bode well. They'll probably lose their draft status and probably go down a couple of slots. But when you start off there... And you look at next week wanting to probably tank the game. And chances are you're probably not going to win the game. Who knows? The New England's going to need that game just to keep their number two seed. And who knows? They could actually probably play for a one seed with Kansas City losing yesterday. And now with the uh, standings as it is, which we'll go over later on. But now with the Jets closing out the season and hoping that they could, for the fan, that is, hoping that they could stay at that number three slot with the aforementioned $100 million, with new coaching staff, with the quarterback, who knows what uh, next year could be. But that's, of course, for another day. Now, as far as the Giants are concerned, just another tough loss. And as I said again, time and time again, another lost season. A lot of the talk, as we all know, is going to be Eli Manning in this offseason. And we'll get to that down the road. I think he's going to be back. I'd be surprised if he's not. I understand that people may look at other directions. Hey, any way we could get Derek Carr in the mix. Some people may say Joe Flacco, which I think that wouldn't be a good idea. Same for Derek Carr, for that matter. But if you're the Giants and you look at a game like yesterday, you've seen Eli, who performed very well. I understand he had the pick at the very end of the game when they relinquished the lead. There at, uh, it was 27-21. They got that touchdown. They were about 40-something seconds left. So to make it 28-27, Andrew Luck made some incredible throws throughout the course of the game. Saquon Barkley didn't have a big game, but Eli was able to distribute the ball. Evan Engram had a tremendous game. A, a lot of happened there with that offense where it made you think that even with Barkley not being as effective and certainly not being at the top of his game, you know, Eli could certainly still throw the ball around a lot. Now, do you trust him moving forward, especially if you have an offensive line? I know the Dino Wool Giant fans are going to look at that and say, yes, bring him back. We could certainly make a run. We had the offensive talent. We just got to get some more defensive pieces and certainly secure that offensive line. But if you're a Giant fan, you're still looking at, again, another high draft pick. You're looking at a season where you certainly could have gone a lot better. We understand the start of the schedule was really tough. We all know one and seven. And then you lost some tough games here in this uh, stretch down the, you know, down the back end of this 2018 season. But now... As you look ahead, you got to wonder whether or not this quarterback's going to be in the mix, which I think he will, and what are they going to do with this small window? Because Eli's not getting any better. We understand Eli can still make plays. We understand Eli's tough. We understand that Eli, we un- we know all of it. 
But whether or not he's going to be the right fit for this team as far as what they could do offensively, will they be more run-heavy now that Barkley's in the mix? And especially if they get another offensive tackle or you know another offensive lineman, will Odell Beckham Jr. be on his best behavior to hopefully uplift this offense, to take it to the heights that it was supposed to be for this year with Barkley and having a season under his belt, as well as Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, etc.? Will the defense, will they take a stand? Will Landon Collins, upon coming back next year, will he return to his old pro form of two years ago? Obviously, a lot of what-ifs, a lot of question marks. But when you look at this giant team, six of the last seven years not making the postseason, and then back-to-back years where they were just absolute duds, it certainly makes you wonder as you look around the league and you see other teams improving and you just have to look at your own division. You know, Washington, if it wasn't for them losing their quarterback, they'd be fighting for a playoff spot now, but they're done. The Eagles, even with Nick Foles and Carson Wentz out and Foles trying to work his magic to try to get the Eagles into the postseason and then Dallas winning a division, it's not going to get any easier. So the Giants, even as they try to see what they could do next week, they could play spoiler a little bit with the Cowboys because there could be a seeding change if the Cowboys do lose to the Giants and then the Seattle wins their final game against Arizona. But I'm sure there's just tons of questions for them. Same, I mean, same for all 32 teams. I mean, let's be real. You know, it's not as if the Giants are the only team in town or certainly the only team in the National Football League that has a bunch of question marks. But when you have an aging quarterback and you have pretty much a young core, you know, this isn't a veteran team by any stretch for all the players that I mentioned. And we understand we have to bring in some more defensive players and some reinforcements there on the offense. But... That's the dilemma that they're going to have this coming offseason. Whether or not they pull the plug on Eli, they know he sure he's going to have to take a pay cut because there's no way they're going to continue to pay him whatever it is, $25 million a year. Eli probably would be the type of guy to say, hey, I want to stay in a giant uniform. Obviously, at a reasonable price because he is getting old. He certainly doesn't want to get beat up for you know playing for peanuts. And not that it would come to that. But the bottom, bottom line is here, will the Giants move forward with their quarterback now? And the guy that's won them two Super Bowls, or will they say, you know what, it's time to move on and see if we could bring in somebody of a younger and more capable of carrying this offense into 2019. Listen, I haven't been the biggest Eli Manning fan, and I don't want to make it all about him. But if I'm the Giants, he still has gas in the tank. I'd bring him for one more year. After that, then who knows? And we get that the draft this upcoming April, we don't know who the top quarterbacks are coming out. Certainly not going to be as deep as the first round as it was last year. But at the same time, these are going to be decisions that uh, Dave Gettleman and company are going to have to make once the season ends come a week from, or not even a week, come this Sunday. It's just six days away. Now, as we go through the league, all right, now this is where I'm going to get grinchy and nasty and just downright just disgusted. When we go through the league, now, again, we're going to trim the fat with all these games, as we know, because a lot of these games, do we really even care about? I get that if you're going to look, let's say, for instance, the Rams beating up on the Cardinals. We're going to go through all the playoff scenarios at the end of the NFL segment. You know, we're going to go through some of the games of this week. They're the games that matter. And I get that the Rams and Cardinals has playoff implications as far as the seedings are concerned. But when it comes to just the overall impact of what the schedule and what the week has, obviously that's not the case. I mean, they did win 31-9. I guess we can kind of go there right now. They did win 31-9. Big whoop. Cardinals having a long season. In fact, in fact, the highlight was Larry Fitzgerald throwing a touchdown pass to David Johnson, which was a pretty pass. But again, the season for the Cardinals has just been one of their worst that they've had in quite some time, especially in recent memory. And the Rams are looking to try to get their bearings as they uh, push for a postseason. Now, some of these other games, again, you know, Tampa, Dallas, Dallas clinched the division yesterday where uh, they had a big fumble recovery, Jalen Smith, who turned it uh, into a touchdown about 68 yards. So Dallas clinches the NFC East, and it pretty much unbelievable how they turned their season around. There's two teams, when you're looking at football, that turned their seasons around, especially being under 500. Dallas at 3-5, and five, and then Baltimore at 4-5, and five, which we'll get to them in a few moments. But you have that. You also had the... Bengals and Browns, Bengals, as we all know, after all the injuries that they've had, and you know they have this uh, quarterback Driscoll there, who actually hasn't done a bad job, but at the same time, they certainly haven't won many games. 
I believe the only game that they won over the last probably month and changes against Oakland, which was last week. But 26-18, what a turnaround by the Browns. Blew my number out of the water. Remember, I picked them as an under this year, five and a half, and why not? I mean, if Hugh Jackson was still there, I bet you that they would probably have won four games. But what a turnaround by the Browns this year. Obviously, there was a lot to be said there in the postgame with Hugh Jackson and Baker Mayfield. Remember, they had their little confrontation there in Cincinnati in the game a few weeks ago. And then yesterday, just staring toward the sideline there with Hugh Jackson in the Bengals. And I tell you, that can make for a pretty interesting rivalry, as we all know, in-state. And then the Browns, they could be here to stay. And I've talked about it for weeks on end. And it's going to be an interesting game next week we'll talk about against the Ravens. But they certainly right now are looking to go over 500 for the first time. And the top of my head, probably since 2007. That was the year Derek Anderson. They were 10-6. and six. They were on the outside looking in. I believe that was the last year that they were over 500. So we're talking 11 years. And they certainly have a chance to do that next week in Baltimore against the Ravens. We have uh, Minnesota-Detroit. What else to discuss there? Minnesota with the victory 27-9 to keep their playoff hopes alive. Jacksonville-Miami. Does anybody watch this game? Who cares? Jacksonville did win 17-7. Uh, Buffalo, New England. New England wins 24-12. That's on the heels of Josh Gordon stepping down to take care of his uh, mental and uh, physical well-being. We also may have heard that there's possible suspension there that's looming indefinitely for Josh Gordon. So, obviously, hearts, thoughts, everything goes out to him. I get people going to say, ah, this is obviously not his first rodeo. He's ruining his life, et cetera, et cetera. But listen, when you have an illness like that, uh, it's tough to deal with, tough to handle. And... He played, uh, you know, he was a true sport about it. So you, you can't really, as much as you want to knock the guy, and as much as you want to say, oh, look at all the chances he has. But again, we're not walking in his shoes. We don't know what's going on. So he did the right thing. It's not as if he was caught out there somewhere in some dark street doing something that he shouldn't have been doing. Then if that's the case, okay. But here he is admitting to his issues, to his problems. And then uh, the Patriots and the rest of the NFL wish him well. So that's what the Patriots are dealing with at this moment. We have Houston, Philly. Yeah, let, oh, Atlanta, Carolina. Let's uh, get to that. Cam Newton was shut down for the rest of the year. A lot of people thought that he may be injured. Cam, prior to, uh, after the game last week, didn't really say much about it. He says that's up to the coaches to decide. So he certainly wasn't using whatever injuries as a crutch. But uh, Atlanta and Carolina, of course, has just hit the skids, as we've talked about from weeks on end. Ever since they were 6-2, and two, they haven't won a game since. So it just goes to show you how far they've fallen. The Houston-Philly game I'll get to in a second. Chicago and San Francisco. This is a game that San Francisco was actually in. Chicago certainly had to sweat tooth and nail to get this victory, and it was a huge one for them because they wanted to keep pace with the Rams if there's a possibility for them to get a two-seed in the NFC. But they went out in the Bay 14-9. The... Houston and Philadelphia, this was another wild game. Houston was uh, trailing there, 29-16. There late in the fourth quarter, they actually get two touchdowns. They take the lead there right at the two-minute warning. And those final few minutes were just crazy. But then uh, Philly and Nick Foles, as I said earlier, filling in for Carson Wentz with two big victories back-to-back. And they pull it out here with a last-second field goal there, Jake Elliott. And the Eagles survive to see another day in another week. And Houston, that hurts them a little bit because that knocks them down to a three seed there in the AFC with the Patriots now overtaking them as a two seed. But uh, Eagles are still fighting. They're still, and they had their final game at home against Washington, but they certainly need help. And we'll go through that in a second. All right, now this is where it's going to get nasty and just downright ugly. I think I've covered all these games. Let's go through it real quick. There wasn't a Thursday night game. Yeah, Cincy, Cleveland, Tampa, Dallas, Minnesota, Detroit. Uh, We talked about Jets, Giants, Jacksonville. Houston. All right. Oh, okay. Let's real quick. Kansas City, Seattle. That was another crazy game there. Seattle and uh, secured their playoff positioning in the NFC. And Kansas City, which for the loss, what happened there on Saturday night in uh, LA or outside of LA with the Chargers, they could have certainly cemented themselves not only as a one seed, but also as the NFC, uh, AFC West division title. But they didn't. Seattle certainly played. Blood and guts, tooth and nail. Russell Wilson had a great game. Chris Carson, a lot of yards there on the ground. 116 to be exact. Doug Baldwin made spectacular catches all over the place. And they uh, held off the Kansas City Chiefs 38-31 there in the Pacific Northeast. And Seattle's going to be a tough out in this postseason. I get it that it's not the Legion of Boom. It's not your uncle's Seattle Seahawks of 
three, four, five years ago. But this is a very resourceful team. They have a gutty quarterback and a, a good coach, despite the fact that he had one of the most boneheaded playmaking calls in the history of the NFL, not even just the Super Bowl. But we think that the Seahawks, even on the road, they're going to be a tough out, but it's certainly going to be a tough sledding for them, considering that they're going to be probably at the five and going on the road throughout the course of the NFL postseason or NFC postseason. All right, now let's get to the games that really just stick with my ribs and just stick in my craw. And I've just, I haven't slept. I've been disgusted. And this would be a very interesting 10 to 15 minutes before we close out the NFL segment and move on. All right, let's start. And these are the three games here. I've talked about the indie game. Now, Pittsburgh, real quick, Pittsburgh definitely was in the driver's seat. They certainly had destiny in their own hands. And we both know, or when I say be both, because I figure I'm talking to you, just one individual. If I'm talking to a room full of people, if there's more than one person listening to this podcast at the same time, I greatly appreciate it. So my point being is that Pittsburgh, despite the fact that if they win out, they would clinch the division, they'd be in the postseason, more likely there's a four seed, and away they go. And even though with Destiny in their own hands, you still look at the other teams. You still look at, hey, if Indy loses against the Giants, and it looked like it was going to be that way when you watched the course of the game, that didn't happen. Let's look at Saturday. Saturday were two critical games. The first game being Washington and Tennessee. The Titans, certainly very resourceful, but remember, Mariota was out. It seems like Mariota's in and out of all these games. And it just so happened that the defense of the Washington Redskins were befuddled and particularly DJ Swearinger, who has a lot to say anyway. I mean, he's a big mouth. But at the same time, he was certainly right, knowing that the backup quarterback was certainly its key to them in winning this game. 25-16 was the final. But when you look at it from a whole, without Mariota, and we know Mariota, what kind of skills he has and pretty much what he's capable of doing you know, throughout the course of a game. And a lot of it is pretty much predicated on his legs. But overall, when you look and have a guy like Blaine Gabbert, as we all know, has just been an NFL journeyman. And for him to be able to go out there and beat a Redskin defense, which, mind you, is not going to remind you of the 85 Bears, but at the same time, for them to be as effective as he was in the absence of Mariota just pretty much goes to show you where Washington's season has gone and how Tennessee is just somehow, some way, piecing this together with Scott Tape and Bubblegum. And Swearinger has a point. Blaine Gabbert is, let's face it, he's been on a million teams. He was a number one pick many years ago, and he's been, at best, mediocre in his NFL career. But he does the job. They score 16 points there in the fourth quarter to overtake the lead and certainly go ahead and win. So that had me in a bad mood to start. My Saturday, as I'm driving around, making Christmas parties with family and doing that type of stuff. And then the night game, which was to me was more important, because the Ravens, who are nipping at the Steelers' heels, you figured that the Chargers, who came off of that unbelievable victory in Kansas City the week before, pretty much thinking that Despite the fact Baltimore's defense is good and Lamar Jackson seems to make one or two plays a game which propels them to victory, but you would think that that win would carry them over knowing that they have to keep pace with the Chiefs if they want to somehow, some way, not only just win a division but get a one seed. But what do they do? They put up a stinker in their home building and granted that that building only seats 25,000 and it's not really any type of home field advantage. But the Ravens were certainly able to Pull it out. And again, this is what the Ravens do. The Ravens, they one or two offensive plays. Their defense is going to win the game. And generally, the defense forces a turnover and gets either a pick six or a fumble recovery. And that's it. The Ravens, let me tell you something, people. And I understand them. I hate the Ravens. I can't stand them. Please, if you're a Steelers fan, how can you even remotely root for them? But to this team, to watch this team, now defensively, I'll give them credit. They are definitely not your... Ray Lewis defense, Ed Reed, they don't have the star power in that. Even though C.J. Mosley's, you know, probably their closest to being their top defensive player. But this team is bores you to tears on offense. I don't care what people say about Lamar Jackson. He's Vince Young reincarnated. And granted that he's just getting started. I get it. I think he's probably even a little bit better than Vince Young. But until he bulks up and if he's going to continue to have this type of play where he's going to just try to run with his legs, he's going to get hurt. He's not going to be as effective. And he has to continue to develop as a pocket passer in order to be successful in this league. Because as we all know, we could you know, talk about it to the cows come home. How many of these type of quarterbacks do not last in the NFL? So with that being said, you still got to give them credit. They made the big play late at 16-10 with the fumble. Antonio Gates and they pick it up and Tavon Young goes the other way for a touchdown. It's just amazing to think how this Raven team 
Just like I mentioned with the Dallas team, three and five. They now four. They were four and five at one point after that Steeler game in early November, and the Steelers were five two and one, and certainly had the division in their grasp. There was no way, shape, or form. But this is why they play a full season. So now they win twenty two ten out in L.A. So now the Steelers had to sleep on this for one night, and then yesterday's game, as we segue to that, uh, this was a game it's typical Steelers. It seems like every week it comes down to the wire. It seems like it comes down to one or two pivotal plays. And this game included was certainly a thriller to say the least. Heart stopping. I actually watched it at Blondie's. If anybody's a Steeler fan in New York City, they go to Blondie's there on 79th Street. Now that was my old stomping grounds. I used to go there and watch all the games. And this was a game that was nationally broadcasted and it's the holidays. So I get the bar wasn't full, but it was a shell of its old self. I mean, the little corner there where everybody goes and hangs out. There was maybe... 10 people, where when I've gone to that bar, there's like 40 people standing, etc. I digress. But with that being said, so now let's just look at this game. I understand the first thing you look at is the referees. You're going to look at the officiating and how that all unfolded, and it was just deplorable. Whether it was the Joe Hayden, the first pass interference there, and the first hats would have led to that first touchdown. I understand that then the Steelers try to follow suit there, that big pass down to the sideline to Vance McDonald when they shift to the other side of the field. To start the second quarter, they weren't able to punch it in 7-6. I thought that that was huge because the Steelers needed touchdowns against this team. You can't kick field goals against this Saint team. But nevertheless, they were down 7-6. They ended up taking the lead. They got the touchdown right before the half, which was big. They went for two, got that. And you're thinking with 40-something seconds left, Saints have no timeouts. All right, great. Well, it's going to the locker room 14 up. New Orleans gets the ball to start off the second half. Well... Be that as it may, they still got a couple big plays. Will Lutz kicks a field goal, 17-14. And of course, you're not feeling good about yourself because with the Saints getting the ball to start at the second half, you're thinking, oh, geez. Here they are. They fought tooth and nail just to get back to tie the game. And then now here they are. Saints take the lead. Them getting the ball. Sure enough, methodical drive down the field. Touchdown 24-14. You're thinking this is the game right here for the Steelers. They have to score a touchdown. Sure enough, they do. They end up scoring a touchdown. They end up taking the lead. They're 28-24 and you're feeling good about yourself. You're feeling that, hey, the Steelers, they can move the ball on the Saints. Now, the Saints defense has had its moments this year as being a good defense, but let's face it, the Saints are not a good defense. They have good personnel, they have good players, but I felt confident there toward the end of the game, which we'll get to in a second, that the Steelers were going to be able to move the ball all day and at will against this uh, Saints defense. So then now, here we go, as we get to this game, Still at 28-24. I know a lot of people are going to look at the fumble bites. Stephen Ridley, they're on the third and one. Why didn't they give the ball to Jalen Samuels was beyond me. Ridley did not have a lot of touches in this game. Samuels was more of a big upright back. If you want to try to punish, or even better yet, you want to do a fullback sneak or just give it to Rosie Nix. You know, he's a guy that wants to barrel in there, and we'll talk about Rosie Nix in a second. But give the ball to him. You know, the the offense, I'm sure the defense is not going to look at that. Even if it was in the eye and you just give him a quick uh, fullback sneak, why not? That didn't work out. They fumbled the ball. That didn't cost them because then the Steelers, although the Saints were able to march down and set up for a field goal, what happens? They blocked the field goal, LJ Fort. And you're thinking, this is what we needed. This was the moment the Steelers weren't able to get that big turnover. In essence, that was a turnover because the, the ball where they got it was right there. It's not it was, it was a missed field goal, even though the missed field goal probably would have been just the same as far as field position is concerned. But anytime. You get a block field goal, a block punt. That's a momentum change. Sure enough, that was the case. And now the Steelers, you would just only hope that they would just get a few first downs, have the Saints burn their timeouts, and then you could just go home and be happy knowing that you'd be in first place, leaving New Orleans, going back to Pittsburgh. Now let's get to the play with the fake punt. Fourth and five. Yes, it was gutsy, and I understand why Tomlin did it. So I'm not going to kill him on that. The only thing I'm going to get on Tomlin is if you were able to move the ball on this defense all day long, why not just go back and shotgun and try to see if you get an open man or maybe even draw a flag? Obviously, that wasn't the case. They felt they wanted to do that with Roosevelt Knicks. I can see that being more of a fourth and three or fourth and short. Fourth and five is a little tough because a guy like Rosie Knicks, as we all know, he's a bowling ball, but not a lot of speed. He's a guy that you could, if you get two or three guys on him, you could bring him down. And as it was, they got him short of the first down. There was Rosie Nix. I understand he was excited. He was pumped up over there, you know, pointing first down and prematurely doing that when he realized after the fact he looked like a dummy because the Saints get the ball. So I can't kill Tomlin on that. At first guess, 
and even the way they were lined up, I'm kind of thinking to myself, Watson faked this. And sure enough, so you got to give Tomlin credit just for being aggressive. I get a lot of Steelers fans probably hate that play. I looked at it as, as a, an aggressive play, a play to win the game. But at the same time, I rather would have Ben throw the ball and they probably would have had a better chance of converting that way than they did here with the fake punt. So now let's get to, to me, what was the biggest play of the game. At fourth, or two, two plays. At fourth and two for the Saints. And again, that's a home call. They're going to call that play. But that, that to me, that was a ticky-tack. That was a BS call. That's all there is to it. Because, and now somebody's banging away because I'm uh, talking about in my apartment. I'm banging away. I'm talking about with a hammer and nail, not uh, what you possibly think. So get your heads out of the gutter, people. At fourth and two with Kamara and Hayden, listen. How I look at that play, it's close. Could it be called? Absolutely. Shouldn't have been called. The game shouldn't have been reversed on that play. It should not have. And that's what made yesterday even that much more frustrating. I'm not trying to say Joe Hayden is Deion Sanders, but come on, you know, this isn't some fifth round pick that, you know, from two years ago that, and he, he mugged Kamara. He did not. So, all right. So you live with it and deal with it. But the biggest play of the game, let's face it, was that third and 20 right after that, where they got a reprieve considering that Keith uh, Kirkwood dropped that pass, which would have made it about third and two. But he dropped that pass, was third and 20, and then they convert to Ted Ginn. And at that point, I just said, go into the end zone so the Steelers can have enough time on the clock so they could drive back down the field and hopefully either tie the game with a field goal or go for the win there on the road. So what happens is we all know they get the touchdown, Michael Thomas. They take the lead, 31-28. Steelers get the ball back. Uh, Antonio Brown, who had his breakout game this year, Brown... Despite the fact he's had a million touchdowns and over a thousand yards, et cetera, et cetera, he's had a very good year. Not an all pro year, but a very good year. He had his signature game yesterday, and it, it was just highlighted by that fourth and 15 catch on the sideline. Tony Toe Tap, unbelievable. But then it ends there in St. Territory with Juju Smith Schuster as he's trying to make a play. He's trying to extend. You get that, but his knee didn't hit the ground, fumbles the ball, Saints recover, and that's the game. And quite possibly, that could be their season. And it's a shame because at 7-2-1 after that Jacksonville game, which they had no business winning, you looked at them and said, wow, this team could be a two-seed. This team could go to a Super Bowl. And their defense, although their defense isn't great by any stretch of imagination, but had played better throughout, despite the fact that they haven't been able to close games in big spots. And that's huge. Because when you look at the steel defense the first four or five games, I mean, they were giving up touchdowns at an alarming rate. Just go to the Kansas City game. I mean, please, we could talk about that forever. But now, I thought that they've made some strides, despite the fact not closing in these final few weeks, whether it was in Oakland, whether uh, in Denver, and even look at the game against the Chargers, where they were up by 16, start of the third quarter, and they couldn't stop me if I was uh, on offense. So now, here they are, on the outside looking in, and oh, two things before I even get to the whole playoff scenario, AFC, NFC, etc. If Tomlin, he's going to survive this. Uh, there's no way... It, a lot of people are going to look at it. Oh, could Tomlin be fired? We all know the history, the Steelers and their coaches. There's no way. I'd be shocked if he gets fired. Now, next year, and I said this, if you go back to the podcast beginning of the year, this is a huge year for Tomlin because of everything that happened in that divisional playoff game against Jacksonville. I'm sure that the ownership, they probably love the aggressiveness. There are definitely some times where Tomlin makes you shake your head, scratch your head, especially with the challenges. The, the challenges are just, forget about it, beyond belief. But with that being said, is there anybody else you want coaching this team? Don't tell me Mike McCarthy either. Oh, he's a Pittsburgh guy. Bring him in here. No, 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 no. I don't want Mike McCarthy. I'm sorry. No. You can say goodbye to that. To me, I've always loved Tomlin. Yes. Like I said, all coaches make you scratch your head. All coaches make you second guess and go crazy. But at the same time, there's no other guy that I want there at the helm. I'm sorry. Barring, you know, someone like, uh, someone like, I'm not saying Bill Belichick's available, which that's not going to happen, but you get my point. So that's number one. Number two, as far as this team is concerned, there is a possibility that it could get in the postseason. There really is. And the only shot that they have is if they win against Cincinnati and Cleveland beats Baltimore. Now, remember last year, Cincinnati went into Baltimore and they converted, I think it was like on a fourth and 14 for a touchdown where they beat Baltimore and then Buffalo went to the postseason to where they were sending chicken wings or whatever they were sending to Andy Dalton's a charity, his foundation, whatever it was, how they were just ecstatic, how Buffalo finally made it to the postseason for the first time in 18 years. Can that happen two years in a row? I sincerely doubt it. But there is some hope. And I mentioned it earlier with the Cleveland Browns. 
The Browns are, I would think, Baker Mayfield, the arrogance, everything. And they beat him earlier this year. 12-9, I know it's a field goal fest. But this team, I believe that they want to finish over 500. And I'm sure in that locker room, they're going to be thinking about it all week, saying that, hey, we have not finished over 500 in 11 years. This is a time to really put a stamp on this team moving forward. And if there is a game, and I've talked about this with the Jets, I've talked about this to a certain extent with the Giants, how you want to close out a season strong so it can carry over into next year. And I know a lot of it is, it's good and it feels good as you go into the new year and maybe into mini camp and things of that nature. But once you get to training camp and it's it's the start of a new season. But I really truly believe for this core, for this franchise, to know that if they would become over 500, knowing that next year could be a year where they could take a leap, maybe even shoot for a division or even for a wild card hope, this is why I like this game. Does that mean Cleveland's going to win this game? Absolutely not. Does that mean that Baltimore is going to gag two years in a row in the final game of the season? Chances are that's not going to happen either. But I feel good. And also on top of that, the NFL was very smart. These games were originally at 1 o'clock. They moved it to 425 because they want to have that late theater because a lot of those West Coast games don't mean anything, whether it's Seattle, Arizona, San Francisco, LA, uh, Oakland, Kansas City. Well, I think that's 1 o'clock. But anyway, it's one of those things where they set themselves up nicely in that 425 window to see if the Cincinnati-Pittsburgh game and the Cleveland-Baltimore game, if there's going to be any thrills, any late-game heroics, I would think it would be more for these Cleveland-Baltimore than Cincinnati-Pittsburgh. But it remains to be seen. So, Steeler fans, and Stephen A. Smith said the season's over. I understand the day after a crushing loss, and that was just a crushing loss. Is it going to happen? I can't say it's going to happen, but all you got to do is look back to last year with Baltimore and happen. I'd be shocked if it happens two years in a row, though. You know, something like that only happens once every five to ten years. If somehow, some way, they lay an egg or lose in excruciating fashion in Baltimore and Steelers win. And also, let me throw this in the mix. Remember in 2015... When the Steelers lost to those damn aforementioned Baltimore Ravens, they lost in week 16 to them and then the Jets beat New England before going to Buffalo and Ryan Fitzpatrick threw all those interceptions there in Buffalo and then the Steelers won in Cleveland of all places. So talk about all the symmetry and all the uh, cosmic connection here with all these NFL teams and deciding who's going to go to the playoffs back then and then certainly for this year. These things can happen. But can it happen again for the Steelers the way it did in 2015? Just like could it happen again the Baltimore's did last year? Well, this is why we watch these games. But just something to keep in mind as we head into this final NFL weekend. And uh, one last thing on Tomlin I want to say before we talk about next week. The other thing is I understand Tomlin. A lot of people could look at he's trying to outsmart his opponent by that play. And sometimes by throwing these challenges. You got to give it to him in a sense that he, he tries. You know, he, he's you just look at Todd Bowles. And I'm not trying to compare Tomlin to Todd Bowles. I mean, there's, please, there's nothing really to compare. But Bowles never takes these chances. I mean, he took a couple chances yesterday. He did. And he definitely took chances in the game against uh, Buffalo a couple weeks ago when they won. But throughout his tenure, you know, he, he never seen a fake punt if it, if it fell on him or a block hit or anything like that. So if you're a Steeler fan and you're down on Tomlin today, don't be. But... Let's just see how this plays out next week. And it, this would be a bitter end if the Steelers win and Baltimore goes on a win. I mean, think about it. You're 7-2-1. And, and you're going to possibly end your season at best 9-6-1. and one. And lastly, those stupid ties. That's why ties, people think, oh, ties aren't that bad in the NFL. Well, no, because if they ended with the same record, let's just say for argument's sake that Pittsburgh won that game against Baltimore. They're both 9-6. and six. Guess what? Even if both teams win or both teams lose, the Steelers have a better division record. Because the Steelers right now are 3-1-1. But let's say they beat the Browns. And again, it's a big what-if because it's not the case. But this is why those ties, they hurt more than they help. And they only help in a sense where if you have the same amount of losses, but if the other team has another one win more, that's it. You're done. So what? That team is 9-7. And if you're 8-7-1, game over. So those ties, to me... As much as they could be a boon or much as they could be, oh, well, it's not as bad. No, I, I don't want to see any more ties, especially with my team. So that's it with that. And as far as next week is concerned, here are your games. The Sunday night game is, I should know this off the top. Oh, yes, it's Indianapolis, Tennessee. So they flex that to Sunday night. So that's going to be a huge game there. And again, the Steelers do not make the playoffs if either one of those teams lose. And even if they tie, 
the Steelers still will not get a tiebreaker because of conference record and I believe strength of schedule. So just keep that in mind as well if you're hoping for a tie between both of those teams. So that's not going to, I don't think that's going to happen. Despite the fact that the first month of the season, it seemed like we we're going to have like 20 ties. But uh, here we are with the NFL, the final week. You don't have a lot of sexy matchups. And quite frankly, you don't have, everything is pretty much receding. And the only thing you're looking at are just two teams. And it's funny enough because the two teams are actually from Pennsylvania who are on the outside right now that could possibly get in. And that's the Eagles and Steelers. So let's uh, break it down here. Week 17 is your schedule. Uh, you don't Again, do not have a lot of sexy matchups. Why can't I bring the schedule up? It's uh, taking uh, much longer than I thought. Here we go. Week 17. All right, guys. Thanks for, thanks for bearing with me here with this uh, laptop as uh, you figure high speed. But again, it's not even just that. It's the laptop is 1,000 years old. So you have, these are the games that are going to be worth of any note as far as seeding, things of that nature. Uh, the Jets in New England, Dallas and the Giants, Chargers, Denver, Oakland, KC, San Francisco at the Rams, Chicago, Minnesota, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Arizona, Seattle, Philly, Washington, Cleveland, Baltimore, and then of course, the nightcap, Indianapolis, Tennessee. And as we break down both conferences, we'll start off with the AFC. Here's I pull up the standings. As it's constituted right now on 12-24-2018 at 12-19 p.m. as I'm recording this. You have Kansas City right now. If they win, they'll have not only the division crown, but they'll also have the one seed there in the AFC. They would follow that by New England, at the two now, if New England loses and ten- and uh, Tennessee and Houston wins, Houston will have the two seed, and New England will be dropped to the three seed. But with uh, New England playing the Jets, you would think that they're going to pretty much be in control of that, and they'll win and have it themselves a two seed in the AFC. So the uh, Texans at three, Baltimore is at four. Uh, Baltimore can actually move up if they win. No, they, uh, if they win and the Texans lose, but I think they have, what's their strength of schedule? You know what? Baltimore will probably get that because their strength of schedule is actually better in a tiebreaker. They did not play this year. They'll have the same conference record, so they would actually get the three seed if they win and the Texans lose. So keep that one in mind. And let's just say for argument's sake, if you really want to get crazy, if the Chiefs lose and both Houston and New England win, you'll have three teams at 11-5. and five. What will happen there is the Patriots will have a one seed because they would have beaten both Kansas City and Houston. So could you imagine? They could still get a one seed even if they all tie. And then your two seed, based on strength of schedule, will be Kansas City. So Houston looks like they'll be probably entrenched as a three unless they lose and Baltimore wins. So you could have some craziness there on that, uh, you know, that final Sunday. The Chargers are entrenched in the five unless they, they can't even win a division because just based on their conference record, right now just looking at it here, they're eight and three and Kansas City's nine and two. So even if Kansas City eight and three, strength of schedule, no, the Kansas City will still have the tiebreaker. So they're going to be stuck at the five. And right now the Colts are your sixth seed in the, NFC, in the AFC, followed by Tennessee, Pittsburgh. You see, that's where it helps for the... Uh, Titans, because if the Titans win and the Colts lose, then either well, that's a playing game for either one of those teams. So excuse me, that's a playing game, despite the fact. And then when you look at even if, uh, hmm, let me see here real quick, if Houston were to lose and then you have Indianapolis in the winner of the Indianapolis Tennessee game, no, Houston has a better conference record. I don't know divisions off the top of my head. I know Houston, I believe, won both of those games, and I believe they split Tennessee. But even I'd have to take a deeper look at that. Let me see. They're 3-2 and two to the division. Colts 3-2, three 3-2. Two, three two. Chances are Houston's going to be a 3 seed. I doubt if they drop to 6. But the playing game is for Indianapolis and Tennessee. And like I said, Pittsburgh, the only way they could get in is if uh, they win and Baltimore loses to Cleveland. As far as the NFC is concerned, Saints are locked in as a 1 seed throughout the NFL uh, playoffs. Up to the Super Bowl, of course. Rams have uh, the two seed pretty much locked up unless they lose and the Bears win. Then the Bears will leapfrog to the two slot while the Rams will drop down. Cowboys have the four seed right now, but if they lose 
and the Seahawks win. Well, they're both at nine and six. Well, no, it doesn't matter because Seahawks and yeah, the Cowboys. Are, how can I even think that Cowboys have won the division, so it doesn't matter. So even if uh, they're entrenched as the four, and then you have the Seahawks, and then Minnesota eight six and one, and then the Eagles at eight seven and zero round out. And of course, if the Vikings lose and the Eagles win, the Eagles will go to the postseason, and the Vikings will be on their way out. Now, remember the Vikings are playing the Bears, so the Bears have something to play for. So that's going to be an interesting game. And I think that's another 425 game. A lot of those games are 425, those good ones. So certainly all eyes are going to be on the NFL there come Sunday. And that's pretty much your wrap-up of the NFL here in a week 16, heading into 17. And boy, I tell you, if you thought you couldn't watch enough drama on a Sunday, uh, there always seems to be something, another game, a play, a call, whatever it is. Uh, that's what makes the NFL great. And I'm sure they're going to be chomping at the bit to uh, see how this uh, Week 17 shakes out. And we'll certainly recap that all next week here on the J-Reels Podcast. But to move on here so I could uh, conclude this in one tidy hour. Let's uh, turn our attention to, well, the Bulls next week. You know, I guess just to quickly talk about that. Because on Saturday you have the college football playoff. The semifinals where you'll have the Crimson Tide of Alabama go up against Oklahoma. And then you'll have Notre Dame. Going up against Clemson. Uh, I, I'm i going to go chalk here. You know, Notre Dame's had a great year. And can I see them winning this game? Of course, I can. But I could just see Alabama-Clemson once again. And, and why not? You know, they played two of the last three years. Last year, of course, it was Alabama-Georgia. But two years prior to that, as we know, where Alabama won the first one and then Deshaun Watson won the second one. And I would say, hey, why not? Let's have a trilogy Let's have Alabama Clemson. Nobody's beating Alabama anyway. I hate to say this because I do not want to see Nick Saban's stupid face. You know, he doesn't smile if his life depended on it. But uh, let's see Alabama Clemson. Let's bring it one more time for the tiebreaker. Let's do it like uh, Arturo Gatti, Mickey Ward, or any of the other great boxing matches of uh, yesteryear. Let's just do it. Uh, I could see Clemson, you know, beating Notre Dame. This is a step in class for Notre Dame. And that's not to diminish anything they've done throughout the season. I, people could say, oh, they beat Michigan. Come on, that was way back in September. So, and in Oklahoma, I understand it's going to be Kyler Murray against Tua. That's going to be a very interesting storyline right there, considering that Murray won the Heisman. A lot of people thought Tua could be the Heisman Trophy winner. A lot of people have actually picked him to be the Heisman Trophy winner. And Tua looks like he's going to be a go-to-play in this game. But I would think Alabama's going to win that. So I would say Alabama-Clemson will be your final there a week from... Next Monday, so two weeks from today, will be your national championship. And now, uh, as we turn our attention to baseball, a lot has transpired. I know I didn't talk about the familiar uh, pickup, and that was one that kind of flew under my radar because I didn't think the Mets were going to go there with familiar again. But remember, he's coming back now as the eighth inning guy. But for three years, $30 million, that was a lot. I get that maybe who knows who else was courting him. Now, for everything that Familia said, he wanted to come back and be a part of the Mets and win a championship, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, good for him. And obviously, he's going to accept this eighth inning role, which I think he'd be good at. He was good at it before he became the closer in 2015. I can't see why he won't be any different. But with Familia, as you know, he could be lights out or he could be, you know, walking on that, as I like to say, you know, walking on dental floss as the tightrope. And they need to solidify this bullpen. They have to get another guy, I think, for the seventh inning. If they want to make this, you know, especially with the starters, a six-inning game, so you could just transfer to seven, familiar, and then Diaz to close it out. I thought 30 minutes was a little too much, especially when you look at what Andrew Miller got, two years of 25. Now, of course, Miller obviously has a very good track record as being a, uh, a dominant closer slash relief pitcher. Familiar, we have seen traces of that, and actually has been very good, but in big spots, we all know what you know, Familiar's baseball card looks like as opposed to Andrew Miller's. Miller's been more lights out. But when you have a guy like Miller who just signed two years for 25 with a vesting option for a third, I kind of would have looked at it from the standpoint of Brody. Did he pay a little bit too much here? I think he did, especially for an eighth inning guy. I mean, you know, let's call it as you see it. And there's a lot of work to be done there with Brody. I mean, listen, he's made some good moves so far, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Where's your center fielder? We brought in Wilson Ramos. I talked about it a little bit last week on the program. So now, as you're looking at more... Depth in the bullpen, an outfielder, 
We get that Lagares may come back at $9 million and he's probably going to be healthy for 20 minutes before he gets back on a DL again. And no offense to Lagares, but that's just, he's made out of glass, let's face it. And now, with all the talk with it being Manny Machado, especially here in New York with the Yankees and as well as Bryce Harper, you you know they're not going to go for those big fish. But it's just a shame because we all know that if the Mets happen to bring one of those two guys into the mix, you talk about the city... You talk about the relevancy of this Met franchise would just go through the roof if that was the case. But, you know, the Mets, they're not going to go that route. And to a certain extent, you can understand that because they still got to pay the ground. They still got to pay Syndergaard down the road. There's no other big position players. I mean, listen, is Ahmed Rosario going to get a max contract or a big-time deal when his free agency is up? Chances are that's not the case. Same with Conforto or Nemo. And remember, you got Cespedes for another after this year to 2020, and then he's going to be gone. So, you know what? Hey, invest in the guy. Bring in a guy like Harper. Put him in right field. You don't have to worry about it ever again. Yeah, you put Conforto on left. You want to put Nemo in center or whatever you're going to do. Trade Nemo to bring back another piece. Center fielder, whatever it may be. And not a center fielder. Whether you're a relief pitcher or another starting pitcher, then so be it. But, you know, of course, the Mets, as creative as they were with the Robinson Cano deal, they're certainly not going to be as creative to bring in that gigantic piece, which would certainly turn the franchise up on its... I mean, listen, everybody would go nuts uh, in Metland if uh, Manny Machado or Bryce Harper were under our Christmas tree. And as with Machado, he came out and said that he's not going to announce where he's going or who he's going to sign with until after the New Year. So we're going to have to wait and see where he goes. But that's the deal you have there with the Mets. And even with the Yankees, who knows with Machado? I'm sure they're going to be obviously in the mix. Are they going to give him the years and the money? I don't think so. Where the Phillies will probably give him the years and the money and maybe even the White Sox for that matter. So... We'll certainly see how that unfolds there once we get past the uh, the new year and once the ball drops. Matt Harvey signs for one year and $11 million with the Angels. Listen, I'm surprised he got $11 million. And I understand he's going based on 2013 and 2015. But, uh, hey, that's for the Angels to worry about. It's only one year. So let's see how Harvey responds after, as we all know, the trade to the Reds. And now that he's going to have you know just this full offseason to kind of focus in on that one year to get that big payday. We'll see how that uh, unfolds. You have another ex-Met in the news. Daniel Murphy going to Colorado, two for 24. So with Arenado, with Charlie Blackman, uh, he pretty much will uh, be part of that centerpiece of that offense there for the Diamondbacks. We all know Arenado's going into his last year, so this is a big year for for them to try to see if they could uh, somehow, some way extend him because we all know he's a top player in, uh, in the major leagues. Uh, Jerickson Profar was a guy that a lot of people thought coming out of Curacao was going to be this... Stud prospect. It was going to be a guy that you could certainly bank on as far as the Texas Rangers are concerned. That'd be that centerpiece. Face of the franchise type guy. Well, that's no longer the issue as he gets traded to Oakland in a three-team deal with Texas and Tampa. Pretty much uh, prospects are just thrown around on that deal. So we'll see what Profar does in Oakland. And we all know Oakland had a big year last year making it to the uh, wild card game against the Yankees. And then lastly, you had the Kemp. Uh, Yasiel Puig and Alex Wood going to the Reds. When I saw who they got in return, I mean, Homer Bailey. Homer Bailey was a guy who I think won two games last year. Despite the fact he's thrown two no-hitters in his career, but they had a couple other guys there. The, set, the Jeter Downs was the number one pick there last year for the Reds. Also, some international money was uh, thrown into that deal. So, pretty much a salary dump by the Dodgers, where now Kemp and then Puig, I believe they're both going to be walking to their final years of their contract. And who knows, does that mean, speaking of those big fish, does Magic Johnson and company go for not Manny Machado, who of course they once had and took him to a World Series, but Bryce Harper. So there's a lot of the talk, a lot of the buzz about that. We all know that Harper's a Vegas kid. Vegas, as we all know, is a hop, skip, and jump to LA. Are the chances are he goes out there? It could be. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case, whether that happens in the days or maybe even after the new year. And who knows, maybe a lot of that... Could be predicated. Maybe Harper waiting on what Machado does and how much he gets to what Boris and company are going to get for Harper. So that's hope Harper's going to continue, but uh, can't continue for that much longer because once we get past New Year's Eve, you would think that these dominoes will start to fall, especially those two big ones with both uh, Harper and Machado. So we'll uh, certainly take a look at that. Uh, as far as your NHL, nothing really going on. You know, Islanders and Rangers are pretty much, you know, middle of the pack there, Metropolitan. Uh, division, Devils get shut out by Columbus yesterday. Columbus actually in the Garden tonight against the uh, Rangers. But, uh, you know, NHL again, and even with the NBA for a certain extent, although the NBA has their day tomorrow, uh, nothing really much to discuss or report there 
You have the uh, Islanders aren't in action. I believe until tomorrow. Devils are up in Boston. I know the Whalers, uh, not the Whalers, you hear me? Carolina was playing the uh, Bruins and where they broke out the old Whaler uniforms. And uh, I'm sure a lot of uh, young hockey fans are wondering what the heck are those jerseys. But yes, the Hartford Whalers. Funny how somebody had pointed out on Twitter that the Whalers have actually, when they left, I believe it was after the 95-96 season, they've actually been longer in Carolina than they were when they played in the NHL as the Hartford Whalers. It just goes to show you how time flies and it's amazing how, yeah, those Hartford Whalers, and I remember those teams vividly. Especially the fight fans, you know, everybody, Tory Robertson was the worst fighter known to man, but everybody looked at him as, hey, you know, he's a tough guy in the league. Yeah, was he willing to fight? Yeah, but he was, well, anyway, I digress. So, uh, the, you, but you had those interesting uniforms. They hadn't seen those in forever with Carolina and Boston, so I just figured I'd throw that in the mix. And as far as the NBA is concerned, as I mentioned, they have their day tomorrow with the five games, starting off with the Bucks and the Knicks there at 12 o'clock ESPN, and we'll see if there's any residual effect from that uh, dunk on Arizona, what was it, uh, Hazonia, where he dunked over Giannis, and then he stepped over him a la Allen Iverson, Tyron Lou. And uh, Giannis proclaiming that he's going to get back at him. I don't think as far as Fisticuff's concerned, but I'm sure he's going to, if he's ISO'd one-on-one against them, I can only imagine his eyes were just going to be his biggest saucers. So we'll see if there's any uh, lasting effect from that. You have OKC in Houston, your second game. Philadelphia and Boston finally getting Al, Al Horford back as well as, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, as well as uh, Marcus Morris. And uh, you have the Celtics trying to get themselves uh, right in the ship. They lost to Phoenix in the middle of last week, which is a joke. Phoenix one of the worst teams in the league. They had a players-only meeting there after the loss there on Friday. They did bounce back yesterday, beating Charlotte. But the Sixers come to town. The Sixers, of course, have had a very good year. Obviously, bringing Jimmy Butler in that trade with Minnesota. So that's your 5:30 game. Then you have your first round one of four between the Lakers and Warriors, followed by Portland and Utah. And, of course, LeBron being in the news for some of the things that he said, whether it was the question about Anthony Davis part of being the possibly being in the mix coming to LA he said hey that'd be amazing and incredible knowing that or not knowing at the time that it was going to be tampering so a lot of the GMs there from uh, some of the lesser teams in the league were saying oh yeah it's all right for LeBron to say that how come he gets a pass where if uh, anybody else says that you know you'd be on them or they're finding them or doing some sort of coming down you know cracking down on them with some sort of penalty but then he was also in the news for Talking about the NFL owners, the slave mentality, and without getting into too much into what he said, LeBron, just talk about your sport. You know, I understand he's going to talk about the social issues and everything that's going on in this country, and rightfully so. That's his platform. He can do whatever he wants. But if he's going to talk about another league, uh, he needs to stand back, even if there is truth to that. You know, you look what happened with Bob McNair, who just recently passed away, owner, former owner of the Houston Texans, and what he said about, oh, the inmates running this, you know, running the asylum, and a lot of the Texan players were furious at him, and is LeBron wrong by saying that? He's not. But you know what? He's just staying in his lane and just talk about his league. Uh, let's face it. You know, what's next? You know, he's going to talk about uh, Bryce Harper if he signs with the Dodgers. He goes, oh, you know, the, that was a stupid move by the Dodgers. I mean, is anybody going to care? Now, granted, I get it that he's talking about, you look at the history of this country and anytime you mention slave mentality or any anytime you mention that word, slave, it's going to start a firestorm. And because he's talking about another league and despite the fact that he may be accurate on that, that's something that you just can't touch. You just got to leave that alone. Let that be. Let the NFL players deal with that. And then finally, of course, he was also uh, on his Instagram page, I believe it was on his stories where he came out and said some uh, lyrics or posted some lyrics there by 21 Savage talking about how, yeah, you know, getting this Jewish money and that everything's kosher. Now, why would he quote 21 Savage? It's beyond me. Uh, I got to throw these two cents in. I know it's a sports pro- talk show program, but you know LeBron has said on his uh, show, The Shop, which I didn't watch this last one, but the episode before that, talking about, oh, you know, I'm a hip-hop historian, enthusiast. And I get that, hey, he's a lot younger than I am, and he's probably more in tune, a lot more in tune with the music that goes on today. But my guy, you want some true hip-hop and some, some punchlines and all that? Go to Action Bronson, okay? Bronson is a lot more quotable, a lot more funny. Throws a lot of sports references in there. And the beats are just fire. With 21 Savage, I mean, sorry, he could perform in my kitchen and I'll be ready to jump out of the window headed for the fire escape. So that goes without saying. Why would he even want to quote anything that he has to say is beyond me. But then again, you know, that's why I stay in my lane talk sports. But I had to throw that in the mix too because I'm just tired of 
a lot of the nonsense that goes on in not only just his rap, because that's not even hip-hop, but just uh, music and so, so on and so forth. So I told you, I was cranky today. I know sports and all that, I get that. But I, I told you, I was coming out with pure fire, pure fire today, and I am. And I know I'm going to close this in a couple of minutes, but I had to end it, off, end it off on that note. So LeBron, later on, he did apologize. He did say that he was... Pretty much just looking at it as more of a complimentary thing because obviously a lot of them paraphrasing here, a lot of the business owners, them being Jewish and them making the the money that they made in whatever industry that they're in, pretty much he was just saying that it, it was more of a complimentary thing as it being derogatory and that he was uh, sincerely apologetic in reference to offending anybody out there. But again, 21 Savage, uh, come on. I mean, why anybody wasted time listening to him is beyond me. But again, you know, I'm just a crotchety old man talking sports. And yeah, I, I can talk a little hip-hop too. Uh, please, I, I, you know, listen. Well, anyway, I'll save that for another day, another time. I'll just keep it to sports, so I'll just uh, leave it at that. All right, people, uh, let me see. Anything else I got to uh, put under your tree or maybe throw some more coal in other people's stockings or throw cold water, whether it's the Ravens and their boring offense, as I said earlier. And yeah, I tell you, hey, listen, when you got guys like Gus Edwards, Hayden Hurst, Nick Boyle, Mark Andrews, Kenneth Dixon. Uh, the only guy in that offense is Mark Crab- uh, Michael Crabtree. He's the only guy that you know as far as from the skill position standpoint. Other than that, please. I mean, there's nobody to... Those guys could fall on me. I would wonder who they are. So, But anyway, let me close it off on that note, people. Oh, you know what? Let's, let's, let's end it on this note. And I promise I'll say goodbye. This idea of... James Dolan not ruling out selling the Knicks. I find it very intriguing, but let me tell you, who is going to put forth $5 billion to this organization? I know there's people out there that could do it. I'm sure there may be a list starting to pile up to say, hey, what would you do to sell the Knicks? Now remember, remember, he not only owns the Knicks, he owns the Garden, he owns Radio City, so I'm sure it encompasses all that. Now, is there... An investment team that is willing to take on all that? Because I don't know if Dolan is just going to sell the Knicks. I mean, I think it'd be crazy if he's going to sell the Knicks. Maybe he'll sell the Garden. Who knows? That still is yet to be determined. But again, $5 billion? I'd say you're going to have to have Jeff Bezos come in here and buy that team. Because if it's not going to be him, and not to say that there are no billionaires out there, there are. And there's people that I'm sure that could afford that team. But what is it? That's what we need to know. Is it just the Knicks themselves? Is it the Garden? Is it Radio City? Is it Cablevision? Which one is it? It's probably not going to be Cablevision. I, I wouldn't think that that's the case, but who's going to pony up those shekels to buy that team? And if somebody were to buy that team, then you know what? I hope it's somebody that has some basketball savvy because as we've seen time and time again, and look, we didn't even talk about the Knicks or the next in the basketball segment. And the Knicks have actually played pretty well. They've won eight of nine and have kind of thrust themselves in the Eastern Conference there, maybe for one of the bottom seeds as far as uh, the Eastern Conference is concerned, but as far as the Knicks at 9-25, and 25, I'm sure they would wheel whoever that person is, whether by bicycle, tricycle, motorcycle, whomever wants to buy that Knicks team, I'm sure the fan base would just do whatever it takes to bring that guy in there and hopefully sign on the dotted line so they could take this franchise and hopefully bring him to heights that it once was because as we well know, especially the last 20 years with this organization, certainly post-Patrick Ewing, the Knicks have been nothing but a laughingstock. So, who knows? Does that mean that uh, there could be a prospect down the road? Remains to be seen. But I'm sure a lot of Knicks fans would hope that if that new owner arrives, it will certainly come a lot sooner than later. All right, that's it here. One more show for 2018. That will be a week from today, of course. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to what it is that I have to say for me babbling, to me venting, everything. Because without you guys, I'm serious. Without you guys taking your time out of your precious day to download, to listen to what it is they have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, I tell you, there would, there'd be no show. So you guys, I, week in and week out, if you're there, if you're just getting started listening to what I have to say, or if you've been there from show one, again, grateful, thankful, blessed that you uh, listen to my podcast and what uh, Jay Reels has to say. Uh, continue to spread the word. As we all know, the internet is uh, very dangerous, but at the same time, is also a very re- rewarding place not only to listen to various uh, podcasts like myself or others, but the various platforms that we're on, whether it's uh, on Instagram, J Reels, on Twitter, J Reels One, just a number, 
and Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. You could also send me an email, if not a DM on any of those aforementioned social media platforms, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Definitely don't forget that. Also, people, please subscribe. Give that Christmas gift to somebody who loves sports. That's right. All you got to do is just go to the podcast. There's an app on your phone. Go to that or go to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify. I'm even on Spotify, people. So, right. Not only you can have your little playlist of whatever it is that you listen to. Hopefully, you listen to some good hip-hop. Or whether you listen to 70s funk. Or you're into Sade. Or you're into Tribe Called Quest. Or you're into Slayer. Whatever it may be. Guess what? You could type in a J-Reels podcast. Hit subscribe. And that podcast will go right to your phone within seconds that it's released every Monday. Or even maybe on a Wednesday, Thursday. Depending if I have a guest or not. Again, I implore you to do that because what happens when you do subscribe and especially if you leave a rating, post a review, all that, it just increases the popularity of this podcast amongst all the other ones in the sports universe. And at the same time, it will also, the popularity as well as the visibility in that podcast universe to spread and hopefully would generate a lot more guests and other people to this podcast. Because think about it, people. If people notice that, hey, Top sports podcast. J. Rules, who is this guy? And they see that I have, oh, he's had this guy. He's had Kenny Anderson. He's had Tony Delk. He's had uh, this writer from the Las Vegas Journal. Oh, whatever it may be. That's the reason why your contribution is important. So like I said, spread the gift of this holiday season to someone. And it's free too. Nobody has to pay for this. And I do this for the love, as you well know, people. So with that being said, Merry Christmas to everybody. I hope you enjoy. I'll... Send all of my New Year wishes next week. But uh, whatever you do on this Christmas Eve and into tomorrow, have a safe, happy, healthy, merry one. Enjoy. Eat well. Just don't overeat. And certainly don't overdrink. Don't drink and drive. Don't text and drive either. All that good stuff. And again, be good to people. Enjoy these final seven days of the year and especially this Christmas holiday over the course of the next couple days. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next week as we close out 2018 here on the J-Reels Podcast on the Flip, baby.